This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we like to talk all things property and today we're actually going to do a little bit of a regional roundup and the reason for that is that I scan papers, scan the news and the internet around what's happening around the country property wise and sometimes you don't get to some of the areas that I'd like to get to just to look about some of the trends that are happening and to talk a little bit about what's going on in those areas. The first region will be our own that I'll just have a little mention of what's been in the news of real estate in the past week. This is Greg Watson. It's lovely to have you here today. The first article is about the Papioia Place Flats here in Palmas North. They're going to get $4.7 million from the Shovel Ready Fund. So this is to allow the, for the building of the second stage of the Papioia Place social housing project. The City Council Chief Executive Heather Schotter said the money provided an enormous boost for housing and for employment when the city needed it most. The second stage of the project, including 28 units, is well underway but had been delayed by the pandemic lockdown. Demolition of old buildings to make way for new flats is one of the first projects revived in the city as lockdown restrictions eased in May. Schotter said the pandemic had highlighted how important it was for people to have safe and secure housing and Palmerston North Mayor Grant Smith said the council was one of the few local government authorities in the country to provide social housing. And the units are for elderly, people with disabilities and those on low incomes. And the project's actually been honoured, as I'd mentioned on a previous show, at the 2020 Western Architecture Awards. The judges applauded its economic and environmentally sustainable objectives in tandem with a level of design that elevated Papioia Place beyond other social housing in the region. I think it looks great. You can look over Papioia Park and see them there. They really do look good indeed while providing housing for those who need it. So it's a really good example of local and central government working together. So now that they've come up to fund it, it's going to support 68 jobs and should be completed by August 2021. The COVID Recovery Fund is expecting to deliver more than 20,000 jobs throughout New Zealand and pouring $5 billion into projects ready to go. This next article from Manawatu, Costs of Building Rental Housing Prove Hard to Swallow. So the Palms North City Council hopes to solve the city's rental housing shortage have taken a knock thanks to an analysis of how much it would cost. Councillors are keen to use some of the sections the council will soon have available for sale at Whakarongo to p- build public rental housing. They asked staff to crunch numbers on a proposal to build and rent out 40 two- and three-bedroom homes in the 114-section subdivision. The figures produced by Chief Financial Officer Stuart McKinnon showed the project would plunge the council $23.2 million deeper into debt. The cost included $7.9 million lost revenue from not selling the sections and $15.3 million for the building. So ratepayers would need to contribute a subsidy of $272,000 a year to make it work. I actually don't think that's too bad uh, given the fact that it's providing um, part solution to the sort of 
mismatch that we have between the housing sizes that are being built and those that are required. And the council knows that we need these smaller two- and three-bedroom homes. That is what demand is telling us in this city. So the report assumed sections would cost an average of 240000 each. The cost of building would be 375000 each. The rents would be an average of $450 a week and the cost of borrowing 3.4% over 30 years. Councillor Renee Dingwall described the figures as a scary proposition and Councillor Lorna Johnson touched on the reason why there are so few rental houses available in the city. She said, if the council can't make this financially viable, then who can? Dingwall questioned the many assumptions made in the report about interest rates and loan terms and the style of housing built. She said it was not acceptable that 550 people were waiting for state housing and 100 children living in emergency housing in the city. The council had to find a way to alleviate the problem. But the reality is that not a lot of rentals have been built by council here in Palmas North for some time, so getting cracking on it, I believe, would be a good idea as our population tends to keep booming. In terms of the Manawatu economy, this article by Paul Mitchell in the Manawatu Standard said, economic markers confirm Manawatu resilience amid COVID-19. So promising new figures on unemployment, construction and home loans signify the region's insulation from the worst of COVID-19's economic disruption and suggest it could again, if needed, withstand lockdown level restrictions. So CEDA business advisor Peter Allingham said the diversity of Manawatu's economy helped pull the region through the first lockdown and business owners were feeling cautiously optimistic about surviving further challenges. Businesses were arguably in a better position now than they were going into alert level 4 lockdown in March. They knew more about the situation, they'd done the financial modelling and budgeting and made adaptations to work at each alert level. Manawatu's Head of School of Economics Finance and Finance, Martin Berker, said Manawatu was one of the poorer regions of New Zealand, but also boosted one of the most stable economies. And that resilience meant the regional economy had taken less of a beating over 2020 than the rest of the country. Berker said Manawatu's staple sectors, agriculture and education, shored up by a high number of central government employees, provided a largely pandemic-proof mix of essential workers and roles that can be easily adapted to online and work-from-home conditions. That was one of the main reasons why Manawatu had seen a relatively low increase in unemployment as job seeker numbers ballooned in other regions. At the same time, New Zealand, uh, sorry, Palmerston North, I should say, we had a 36% increase on the job seeker benefit, while New Zealand had a 61%, and Auckland's unemployment rose 83%, and Queenstown an incredible 744% increase. Palmerston North also had the second lowest uptake of the mortgage deferral scheme set up by the Reserve Bank and big retail banks to help struggling households. So really interesting to know that the economy here is good, and I overheard somewhere, so I wouldn't take this one as um, written in stone, but I overheard that uh, the economy here in Manawatu has been the least affected uh, out of regions in the country in terms of the economic impact of COVID. So this article just in general called Sign of the Times, Mum and Dad investors expected to snap up property investment with a mere 2.4% interest rates. So as you know, the interest rates have never been quite so low. Equity has been building up nicely in many houses. So there's now uh, a 
Investor Property, one of New Zealand's largest listed retail property landlords, will be issuing $125 million of retail bonds with a 2.4% interest rate and seven-year term to financial investment advisory firms around the country for their mum and dad clients to buy. So the rates have just come down. Um, They keep coming down with the banks as well. And um, they're just making it easier for people to borrow money and to that helps people who are in what they call the mum and dad investors, those just looking to buy a rental property or a second rental property. Uh, and that's just an example of, of one lender, um, many of the banks now below 3%. This next article from Stuff Business says a staggering number of households behind on their mortgages. Now, as we just mentioned, Manawatu, Wanganui, not too badly affected. However, thousands of households have missed payments on their mortgages, but haven't yet been brought into the home loan holiday scheme. So this is to do with the Reserve Bank and the big retail banks agreeing on a mortgage deferral scheme, and borrowers making repayments on around 83,500 home loans have now used the mortgage deferral scheme. It will be extended now and will run to March the 31st of next year, Finance Minister Grant Robertson confirmed on Monday. But the Reserve Bank data shows that Almost 11,000 mortgages were in arrears as of August the 7th, which were not covered by the Home Loan Deferral Scheme, and the actual number may be even higher. In fact, Credit Reporting Bureau Centric said its data showed 13.5 mortgages were flagged for missing payments. What the article doesn't say is how many ordinarily miss pre- and post-COVID, but suffice to say, Kevin McHugh, the publisher for the Finder Financial Services Comparison website, in New Zealand says that there's a staggering amount of people missing payments on a weekly basis on their mortgage. Mortgage market is showing just how much financial stress New Zealanders are in in this grim situation. So the article goes on in that vein. And However, they do say that the impacts of COVID-19 recession have not fallen evenly, with Queenstown and Rotorua households having been hit especially hard by the collapse of international tourism. Queenstown tops Centrix's chart of worst-hit urban areas, with 11.9% of households with home loans having agreed lower repayments with their banks, while in that proportion, Rotorua was 8.9%. Again, Manawatu, not too bad at all. Okay, let's go a bit regional now. We're going to look at some news here from Napier, and this is ratepayers cough up in confidential settlement of eight-year rusty apartments case. So it's finally settled 13 years after they were built and eight years since the owners launched legal action against Napier City Council and others. The dispute over the West Quay apartments has been settled, removing the need for what was to have been a 10-week trial in High Court. But ratepayers, who will bear much of the cost of settlement, will never know how much it has cost them due to a confidentiality agreement. The council would only say the matter has been settled by negotiation between the parties in a manner which is satisfactory to all parties. The body corporate that took legal action has been contacted for comment, according to the article. So the West Quay apartments completed in 2007 have been the subject of legal disputes since 2012. Owners were concerned about weather tightness, structural integrity and fire-related issues, amongst other things. And investigations of the building's 108 apartments in 2014 found corrosion stains at deck-to-wall junctions, which led to concerns about the corrosion of concealed structural steel. Last December, a court ruling revealed the body corporate was seeking more than $30 million. It claimed the council was negligent from start to finish of the construction process, including the issue of the building consents and the issue of the code compliance certificate. Previously, the body's statement of claim had sought remedy for costs of more than $22 million, but that has now been settled, so we'll just have to see how that goes. And um, 
that, that could be uh, the remedial work is likely to cost more than $10 million. So it'll, uh, we'll have to, or we will never know what that will cost the Napier rate payers. Another article here, uh, just in general about property, uh, talking about million dollar properties are the new norm, even outside of Auckland. And this is as the property market continues to increase. Uh, and uh, this gives various examples around the country where it used to be just Auckland and Queenstown, but now the figures from the Real Estate Institute market, uh, Real Estate Institute of New Zealand market reports show million dollar plus house sales have been steadily rising across the country and increased by confidence and seen them become quite normal. If we compare with 2008, there was less than 1,500 homes over a million were sold. 2013, there was 4,500. In 2019, 10,732. In the first half of 2020, even as the country shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic, there were $455 million sales in the Wellington region, 235 in the Bay of 20, plenty. <laughs> Bay of Twenty? No, definitely not Bay of Twenty. Two hundred and thirty-five in the Bay of Plenty, two hundred and two in Otago, and one hundred and seventy-nine in Canterbury. So, um, really, it's becoming. It's interesting that there is still the money out there. People buying properties at that level, which around the country will buy you more or less housing, of course. So here's another article. This one from Nelson called Why We Should Care About the Housing Market in Nelson, Tasman. So this is, again, on our regional approach. Uh, this is just another of the regions that we're talking about. So outside of Auckland, the Tasman district is the second least affordable region for the second year running, followed by Nelson. This is a local uh, article. It says, We thought it was grim when Stuff looked at Nelson's housing sector four years ago and the region's median house price had hit 450 up from 360 in 2015. But now things got much worse. The average house price in July for Nelson is now eye-watering uh, and it's upwards of $660,000 according to quotable value. If you live in the Tasman district, you'll need to pay 38.7% of the average income to service the mortgage payments on the average house price. So the average rents have also sharply increased up from 324 in 2015 to 426 in July in Tasman and 306 to 398 in Nelson over that same time period. So it mirrors quite a lot what's happening in the regions and um, and it does mean, again, uh, supply and demand is what is driving uh, these prices. And if we look at that area, stay in that area, there's another article here that talks about renters being locked out of the Golden Bay housing market, which is saturated in holiday homes. The dire state of the Golden Bay's rental market has has seen one mother and her three children live in 16 different homes over the last 19 years, and that can't be good. The popular holiday destination northwest of Nelson has a market saturated in short-term leases such as Airbnb and other providers, leaving residents struggling to find long-term accommodation and others homeless. It says that Golden Bay locals have been priced out of the housing market for years as buyers from out of town snap up real estate for holiday homes, driving up property prices. For one Golden Bay mother, her only option was to lease a house short term and then be forced to move out just before summer. And of the 16 homes she lived in, four were transitional homes, such as staying with friends and family while they're essentially homeless. Pretty hard, uh, that must be psychologically, to know that in that area, um, you know, at any time you could be moved on. 
the laws are of course changing on that now and, and have just changed around uh, tenants and having to move on. So some settlements in Golden Bay are worse than others. In Pohara, for example, the popular coastal holiday home area, 77% of the houses were empty in 2018. So there's um, a, a large bunch. Uh, there's 196 listings on Airbnb in Golden Bay. And this is just stopping people in the local market being able to rent. So that's a general thrust of that article there. And, um, and also just making sure that things are up to standard. We'll be back soon with a little bit more regional news uh, just from around the country, uh, including in Hamilton and Auckland, and then a little bit about a James Hardy settlement. Uh, we're just going to go to a little bit of music now. I'm Greg Watson. You're listening to Property Matters. This is Simon and Garfunkel. We're keeping it in theme. This is Homeward Bound. I'm sitting in the railway station Got a ticket for my destination mm-hmm. On a tour of one night stands My suitcase and guitar in hand And every stop is neatly planned For a poet and a one-man band Homeward bound I wish I was Escaping home Where my music's playing home Where my love lies waiting silently for me Every day is an endless stream Of cigarettes and magazines mm. And each town looks the same to me The movies and the factories And every stranger's face I see Reminds me that I long Homeward bound I wish I was Homeward bound Home Where my thoughts are escaping Home Where my music's playing Home Where my love lies waiting Silently for me Tonight I'll sing my songs again I'll play the game And pretend But all my words come back to me in shades of mediocrity Like emptiness and harmony I need someone to comfort me Homeward bound I wish I was homeward bound Home where my thoughts escaping Home where my music's playing Home where my love lies waiting silently for And we're back here on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. You're listening to MPR, Manawatu People's Radio. So we're on the Property Matters show. We were just talking before the break. We're doing a little bit of a regional roundup. Um, Now, we've just found our way to Hamilton. And this article from the Waikato Times says, Residents in Hamilton suburb gutted at Kainga Ora's stance on a state housing build. So Kainga Ora won't seek a publicly notified resource consent for a controversial housing development in Hamilton's northeast, citing costs and time delays. Its stance has dismayed some Flagstaff residents who say the Endeavour Avenue project will have a major impact on their suburb. 
The State Housing Agency wants to build a 70-unit development on the vacant 1.9-hectare site, but has come up against community opposition with more than 2,700 residents signing a petition calling for the project to be halted. Long-time resident Mark Browning speaking about the project in May has concerns about the state housing design planned for Flagstaff. In July, Flagstaff residents shared their concerns with Parliament's Social Services and Community Committee. Residents told committee members that the project's two- and three-storey apartment buildings are not in keeping with the area and called on Kainga Ora to seek a publicly notified resource consent. Now this, like I say, this is actually on stuff.co.nz under Waikato Times. It has artist impressions of the buildings. To me, they actually look really quite uh, pleasant. But nevertheless... This could be a case of uh, not in my backyard, nimbyism, we'll see. In a written statement to the Select Committee, Kainga Order staffer Patrick Doherty said the housing agency has refined its flag staff proposal following community feedback and has held pre-application meetings with the Hamilton City Council. Doherty said it's up to the council staff to decide whether the project is publicly notified. Kainga Order is responding to... Huge demand for public housing in Hamilton and across the country, and at the end of March there were 1,067 households on the household register waiting for a suitable home in Hamilton. So what we're trying to balance here, and what it appears what they're trying to balance, is the need of those who desperately need housing with the aesthetics or the possible nimbyism of the people living in that area. That's just my opinion. So we're going to see what happens there. Um, but they, the, certainly that, that feedback has meant that they've really had to have a rethink on, on what they're going to do there. We'll just watch the space and see how that goes. But that, that will help alleviate some of that problem in Hamilton. I guess it's just around some of these things, trying to find out uh, where things will be done. So just a reminder that in August the government released new guidelines aimed at dramatically increasing housing developments in the fast cities, or beg your pardon, in the country's fastest growing cities, including Hamilton. The National Policy Statement on Urban Development slashes things like height restrictions in some suburbs and forces councils to accept developments with no car parks. So how to abide by the new rules while allowing council to control growth in the city will be debated they say, during the council's upcoming long-term plan discussions in Hamilton. So that's something where um, we might see a bit more of this happening around the country as uh, councils take action uh, to move things through more quickly because of the needs. So here's some news from Wellington. This one from uh, the Dominion. A home with mid-century references to the Farnsworth house is photographed publicly for the first time to sell. Now this is in the lifestyle section. This is inspired by Ludwig Mies van der Rohe's iconic Farnsworth house in Illinois. There's a ridgetop home in Southgate, Wellington, which captures the essence of mid-century style, although it was built in 2008. It's really a stunning-looking home. I would suggest that you have a look at this. Uh, it's a 252-metre, square-metre house. It's come on the market for the first time, and they're going to let go of this iconic home. It's really got, they call it the Glass Farnsworth House, House that and the inspired the design that was built between 1945 and 1951 as a one room retreat for Edith Farnsworth, a prominent Chicago nephrologist. She famously wanted the retreat as a place where she could engage with nature, read books, and play the violin. And so, this architectural designer wanted to recreate these ideas 
in this house, which is, looks like a glass box sitting up on the hills there in Wellington. So let's, uh, if you want to look up the Farnsworth House at Wellington on stuff, then I'm sure you'll be able to find that. Speaking of places that maybe don't have enough windows, not clean and tidy, I was pretty disgusted to hear this story come out of Auckland. It says, Auckland landlord ordered to pay $14,000 after fungi or fungi grew on damp, mouldy carpet. A landlord who rented out a house so damp its walls were bulging with water has been ordered to pay more than $14,000 to her former tenant. Tenant Esty Skeens said the house on Auckland's North Shore was so damp and cold that it made her entire family unwell. Tenancy Tribunal adjudicator Robert Key ordered the landlord, Tori Azal, to pay Skeens almost $15,000 for the cost of keeping the house warm, failing to insulate, failing to lodge the bond and loss of amenities. According to the recently released Tenancy Tribunal decision, Skeens was told that when she moved in, the, that the downstairs of the house in Regatta Road in Torbay suffered from minor dampness. But shortly afterwards, she realised the problem was much more serious. She said the whole house was damp, cold and extremely difficult to heat. The walls were bulging during, to, during uh, I beg your pardon, bulging due to water getting in and mould covered the ceilings, walls and carpet. The mould on the carpets was so bad, fungi had grown from it. The HRV system had to be constantly running, but it could never get rid of the persuasive damp, persuasive, I'm having fun with my words today, pervasive damp in the house, she says. During winter, the family's power bills rose to over $500 per month. And on Christmas Eve 2018, the problems got even worse when the downstairs flooded, making it completely unusable. Key said Skins and her family were exposed to unhealthy living conditions in a house that was barely habitable. The tenant ultimately couldn't use the downstairs area at all and the upstairs was severely affected by maintenance issues. Some landlords deserve to have the book absolutely thrown at them. So uh, Key said Zhao never lodged the bond of 2200 and had not given the money back. It was likely Zhao had used the money herself, he said, which was a serious breach. Zhao did not attend the hearing, did not contact the tribunal to explain her absence. So that's uh, something there which is just uh, quite incredible. Now follow up here on an older story, uh, this from Stuff Business. James Hardy knew the cladding was not working, the High Court was told. So James Hardy knew its Hardy text cladding was not working years before it withdrew the product, the High Court of Wellington heard on Monday. The Australian building products maker is defending itself against a group of 144 property owners seeking multi-million dollar damages for the cost of fixing leaky homes. The case is scheduled to run for 16 weeks, but the homeowners have had to wait for their day in court after filing their claim in 2015. The homeowners claim James Hardy was negligent and made misleading statements in relation to the manufacture and sale of its Hardy Tex wall cladding system. James Hardy has denied the allegations. James Hardy blamed the cladding failures on poor installation, but a lawyer for the plaintiffs, James Farmer QC, said the product was inherently defective, irrespective of any poor workmanship. The product liability claim case accused the manufacturer of being negligent, breaching a duty of care for manufacturing and selling a material that was not fit for purpose. Obviously the purpose of exterior cladding is to keep moisture out and not retain it if it enters. Neither Hardytex or Hardyflex was tested for weather tightness, Farmer said. The cladding was marketed as a product that could be directly fixed to timber framing and by doing so exacerbated its defects. In addition, New Zealand regulators in the mid-1990s allowed the use of untreated timber, so if moisture got in, it would cause more rapid deterioration. James Hardy knew untreated timber was able to be used, Farmer said. 
Hardy Techs was manufactured from July 1987 to July 2005. So 19, by 1999, James Hardy knew its product wasn't working. Farmer said and it should have worn the market and immediately withdrawn, but they went on and carried on selling it for a further uh, five and a half years. So they hadn't tested the cladding, Farmer said, but developed a separate product called Monotech, which is marketed as a cheaper alternative. So I have to see where that one goes. It represents the owners of 151 Hardy Techs clad properties. That's just a bit of an update there as well. That's all we've got time for this week. This has been Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. It's been lovely having your company. You can listen to this where all podcasts are found. We'd love you to subscribe if you're watching this or listening to this online. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.